Well, hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into the Harbor Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you will hear are both uplifting and challenging. And now, welcome to the Harbor. Dive into part two of our series, Promises, Promises. And this series is on the life of Abraham. And so if you would like to, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. All the verses will be on the screen. But Genesis chapter 12 is where we're going to start. And I'm just going to give you a recap because I know some of us weren't here last week. Abraham was this man who did not grow up believing in God. And yet when he was 75 years old, God appeared to him and he gave these three crazy promises. He said, number one, I am going to give you this incredible land that you're going to own and possess. Number two, from you is going to come a great nation. And then number three, I will bless all the families of the earth through you. And so what we learned last week is that even though these promises were really incredible, only a fraction of them came true during Abraham's life. And God is actually still bringing those promises true to this day. And so Abraham was living by faith. He, He was living like in the middle between the promise and the fulfillment. And we learned how to do that last week. If you missed it, search the Harbor Teaching Podcast on Instagram, or sorry, on Spotify or on any podcast, and you can catch up there. Now this week, I'm gonna gonna do things a little bit differently. And let me explain. Usually when I teach, the way that I teach, like the style of it is called expositional teaching. And basically what that means is I, I take a Bible passage, and I read it, and I say, this is what it says, this is what it means, this is how it applies to our life. And I think this is a very healthy way of of reading the Bible, because, and, and a healthy way of teaching, because I'm not sharing my opinions with you, but I am merely exposing the Word of God and saying, this is God's thoughts. And it's also a great way because you're not getting every week like the top 10 messages that I'm passionate about, but you're actually getting the whole of God's mind and heart as we kind of work through scripture together. And that means that I'm going to preach on things that I maybe feel uncomfortable preaching about or that maybe aren't popular, but I'm going to preach on them because they're in the Bible. So that's a really good way of doing it. That being said, that's not the way we're doing it tonight. Um, there's another way that we can teach, and it's called topical. And what that is, is we take a passage, and then that passage becomes a springboard into a topic. Topic, topical. It's crazy how they came up with that name. So so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read two stories from the life of Abraham, and then we're going to kind of springboard from there, and we'll go for it. Okay, let's pray, and we'll go into it. God, thank you for this night. Thank you for every single person here. And I do believe that no one is here by accident. I believe you have a message to speak to each person. So please draw near to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So hopefully you're in Genesis chapter 12. If not, we are, all the words will be on the screen. So verse 10 of Genesis chapter 12, it says this. Now, there was a famine in the land, 
So Abram, another name for Abraham, went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. So last week we learned that God sent Abraham to the promised land. And he said, stay in the promised land. But now we learn that because there was a famine, Abraham went to Egypt. Now, here's what's interesting. God did not tell him to go to Egypt. Now, we don't know whether that is a sin or not, but it is interesting that God said go to this land, and now Abraham is in another land, and that is actually going to lead to some problems. Verse 11 says this, When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you. Everybody say, that's weird. Everybody say, ew. Okay. And then that my life may be spared for your stake. So here's what happens. Abraham acknowledges that his wife is very beautiful. That's a very good thing to do. Now, fun fact, Sarai here was 65 years old at least during this time. So shout out to Sarai, 65 years old, still beautiful enough that they will kill a man over her. It's pretty good. But what he comes up with is he says, if you say that, that you're my sister, then they will kind of take you to be maybe the wife of somebody, but they're not going to kill me, which I, I kind of feel like that, like Abraham is really throwing his wife under the bus here. And I kind of feel like, what's your plan, Abraham? Like you, you're saving yourself, but your wife is going to end up someone else's wife. I don't feel like that, like we won the story here. We, we did it. But anyways, that's what Abraham comes up with. And then verse 14, we discover when Abraham enters Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abraham. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. So Abraham and Sarah conspire to lie together. And as a result, Sarah ends up in Pharaoh's harem. Bummer for Sarah. And on top of that, Abraham weirdly gets blessed by it. Like he ends up with a lot of possessions because of it. Now I want to pause right here and I want to talk about uh, this thing that, 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 that is kind of in, in the Bible that that's, that's causes people to trip up sometimes. And I want to talk about the fact that in this story, women aren't, aren't necessarily treated very well. In fact, they're treated like property. And at that time, Unfortunately, that was pretty much how women were viewed. They were viewed as a type of property. You just saw Pharaoh exchanged her for some property, for some camels and some donkeys. Now, we need to realize that there is a difference between what the Bible describes and what the Bible celebrates. The Bible describes a lot of things that God does not applaud, and the Bible celebrates other things. And so the scripture, in fact, 
celebrates men and women as created in God's image. Both men and women incredibly valuable and have an incredibly high position. And in fact, Jesus was radical and cutting edge in the way that he treated women and celebrated women. And if you study throughout scripture, where the gospel was, went into a location, women were actually elevated and treated much better throughout history. But in this situation, the Bible is describing a place where that sadly did not happen. So verse 17, we're going to read this. The Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house and great, with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she was my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning her, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So we finished this very awkward story back where we ended up with, with Abraham and his wife living in the promised land. But very strangely, God has actually blessed them, even though this very weird thing happened where they honestly made some really unwise decisions. Now, if you think that was bad, it's going to actually get much worse. Because if you know your story, the story of Abraham, you know that they are going to make some much worse decisions than even this. So let's keep going. Turn with me to Genesis 16, verse 1, and it says this. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Now, we remember God had promised that from Abraham would come a great nation. You need at least one to start any kind of nation. And so they're stuck at zero right now. But Sarai had an Egyptian female servant whose name was Hagar. Probably Hagar came in this exchange when Sarai went into Pharaoh's harem. So we already have many problems happening here. And Sarai said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. Everybody say again, that's weird. Everybody say, ooh. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Most of the time, men, very good idea to listen to your wives. This time, not so much. So, so here's what's happening. Abraham and Sarah are trying to take matters into their own hands. They are trying to help God out fulfilling his promise instead of trusting him. And here's the result. Look with me at verse four. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me and you. So Hagar gets pregnant, and she starts to look with contempt on, her, uh, on Sarah, which, to be honest, she really didn't have very much say in this whole exchange. So I believe I would have probably looked with contempt at the, the folks as well. But, but then now Sarah is upset at Hagar, or upset at Abram, because this whole thing is not working out the way she planned. And Abram's like, yo, I was just trying to do what you said. So, so the whole thing is a giant mess. And Abram kind of just shifts the blame. And he says, look, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. 
And Sarai dealt harshly with her, and Hagar fled from her. So, what we have here is one semi-troubling passage, and then on top of that, a very troubling passage. And so, I kind of want to pause here. We're going to come back to the story of Hagar in just a moment. But, but I want to look at and consider kind of the big picture here. Because last week, we learned that Abraham was this hero of the faith. He believed beyond when everyone said you shouldn't believe, and he had the confidence and faith to believe in the promises of God after years and years and years. Now, we learn that Abraham and Sarah are, are really acting in a way that they don't believe. They're trying to take matters into their own hands, and in the process, they are hurting lots and lots and lots of people. And we discover that Father Abraham, that we thought was the hero of the story, has suddenly looks like he's the villain. And, and like, let, let's just be honest. If Abraham was living in 2021, like, he gets canceled for this, right? Like, we're done with him. And so my question is, like, is this something that is normal in the Bible or is this an anomaly? And what's interesting is if you read through the story of the Bible, what you discover is that it's actually very normal because the characters in the Bible, for the most part, are very screwed up people. I'll give you a list. Obviously, we know that Adam and Eve sinned and screwed it up for everyone. Now we discover uh, Abraham. Before Abraham was Noah. We know him as this man of faith who built the ark. Noah also had a major drinking problem. Moses, who delivered people out of Egypt, huge anger problem that ended up disqualifying him from going into the promised land. Gideon, who we studied about a couple weeks ago, you're like, no, not Gideon. Gideon did deliver the people, but at the end of his life, he created an idol, and the whole nation worshipped the idol and turned away from God. David, if you've grown up in church, you know about David. David committed adultery. He, he killed a man because he committed adultery, and then kind of the lesser popular, but also very prevalent, he was a really bad absentee father, and his whole family kind of degraded because of his lack of leadership. And then in the New Testament, we got Peter always putting his foot in his mouth, denying Jesus three times. The Apostle Paul murdering and betraying Christians before his conversion. Like the Bible is a group of people who are really messed up. And so here's kind of the question that I want us to ask. What should our relationship be with the heroes of the Bible? How should we think about them? How should we deal with them? And, and I'll be honest, I, I personally, like, I am an optimistic person. And so the, these passages, like, they make me uncomfortable to, to teach about. Like, it's not, like, the funnest thing ever. It's way more exciting to teach about David taking an awesome step of faith or, or, or being a man after God's own heart. Not so fun to be like, hey, he, he also really, really screwed up badly. But here's the reality. If, if we're not honest about them, then people can start to read the Bible and they can start to be like, wait a second. Like, these are the heroes and look at them. Look at how messed up they are. Like, how could I believe this when this is the reality? 
And so I think that what we have to do is we have to say, what does the Bible say about how we treat and think about the heroes of the Bible? This is a great verse on that. Romans chapter 15, verse 4, and it says, whatever was written in the former days, that's the, New Test- the Old Testament, was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of Scripture, we might have hope. You see, everything that is written in the Bible is written for our instruction, but there are good examples, people who take steps of faith and are blessed, but there are also really, really bad examples, people who do horrible things and we see the consequences of their actions. But in all of it, here's what I want you to know, and this is the big idea for tonight. I want you to realize that in the Bible, there is only one true hero, and his name is Jesus. There is only one hero, and his name is Jesus. You see, throughout Scripture, it is very honest about us as human beings. And Scripture is honest to say that we as humans are very incredibly, like, like we're, we're, we're incredibly valuable people, but we're also deeply flawed and deeply broken. We're valuable because we're made in the image of God and because we're handcrafted by God. And yet we are deeply flawed and broken because sin and our sin, our choices are more devastating and deadly than we can ever imagine. But here's the reality. From the very beginning, God had a plan in place to save us from our sins. Just minutes after Adam and Eve committed the first sin, God made a promise about a savior. The first promise in the Bible about Jesus occurs in Genesis 3, just a few moments after Adam and Eve commit the first sin. And God, speaking to Satan here, says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So what he's saying here is one day there will be a conflict between you and between the offspring of Eve, that's Jesus. And in that conflict, he, he will be hurt, but, but he will end up crushing you. And that's what happens, right? Like at the cross, Jesus is pierced. He is hurt, but at the same time, he crushes the head of the enemy and death and sin and Satan and darkness are defeated forever. And so in reality, Jesus is the hero of our story. He is the one that we are looking for. And what we see is kind of this like underlying theme throughout the Bible is that we're constantly reading these stories and we're like, is this the hero? And we read and we're like, no, Noah's not the hero. Abraham, Moses, they're not the hero. Is, is David the hero? Maybe he's the hero. He seems to be doing really good. No, no, he fell into sin. He can't be the hero. What about Solomon, his son? He's an incredible leader, an incredible builder. No, he, he, his heart is turned away from God. And so over and over again, we see, no, this one's not, this one's not, this failed, this failed. And then we get to Jesus. And Jesus is different. Jesus 
loves like no one else loves. Jesus doesn't sin. Jesus doesn't mess up. And right away, people say, this man is different. He has authority. And people say that, that, that he, he, when he comes into contact with evil, he does not get, get, get swayed by evil, but actually he brings healing and restoration to it. And he has authority to forgive sins. He has authority to drive out demons. And then he dies on a cross for our sins and rises again. And we discover that Jesus is the one who is ultimately the hero of the story. Now, I want to bring this kind of to the next step. And I want to ask us, okay, we've learned what we do with Bible heroes. But, but here's kind of the next thing that I want us to talk about. I want us to talk about the heroes of our faith today, the ones that we look up to. And this is the, the, the next thing that I want to talk about. You can write this down. Christian leaders aren't celebrities. They are brothers, sisters, and servants. And see, I think what happens sometimes is that we are really good at creating idols. And an idol is just a good thing that becomes a God in our life. And so sometimes what we do is when a man or woman is used powerfully by God, and God does use men and women powerfully for his name and for his glory, but when that happens, sometimes what we do is, is we look at them and we begin to, to idolize them and begin to think how great and amazing they are, when in reality, the, the only value that a Christian leader has is that they point us back to Jesus. And when they stop pointing us to Jesus, they, they stop bringing value to us. And, and I'll be honest, like, like it is tempting to get pulled into the Christian celebrity thing. For me, it's tempting as a consumer because there's amazing Christian content out there. It's, it's also tempting for me as, as a leader. Like I can get sucked into wanting that, to wanting fame or wanting the blue check mark or wanting the applause or wanting people to think that I'm amazing. But, 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 but we got to remember that there's only one hero of the story and his name is Jesus. Now, we have actually had a problem with Christian celebrity since the beginning of the church. Like, this is not a new problem. It, it, like, Instagram did not start this problem. Podcasts was not the culprit. If you look at one of the very first churches, the church at Corinth, the reason that Paul writes the letter to the church is because they have their favorite Christian celebrities and they're fighting about which Christian celebrity is better. They literally are like, yo, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter, and they're all fighting about who, which one that they follow is better. It's like people like talking about their favorite podcast preacher, and they're like, my podcast preacher can definitely out-preach your podcast preacher. Like, I am growing so much more than you're growing from him. That's what was happening. And, and here's what Paul said to this. It's in 1 Corinthians 3. He said, who is Apollos? What, what is Paul? They are servants. That's all they are. They are servants through whom you believed as the Lord aside to each. And Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So here's the thing. I hope and pray 
that the harbor is a place where you are growing and thriving spiritually. I really do. I sincerely do. That's why we're showing up every week. But, but if, if it's happening, it's not because of me. Like I am a servant and God is giving the growth. And, and if you have a favorite podcast preacher or a favorite Instagram Christian thought leader, that's awesome. If you're growing, keep on going with it. But realize that it's not them and their awesome mindset, but it is God who is working through them to bring growth in your life. And that is, that is simply scripture. That is simply the reality. Now, why does this matter? Why am I taking so much time to talk about this? Because each one of us in here at one point or another will be disappointed and hurt by a Christian leader. And listen, some of that is actually our fault because what we can do sometimes is we can put very high and unfair expectations on Christian leaders that they weren't designed to carry, but only Jesus is designed to carry. And when we idolize something, eventually we begin to demonize that thing because it's not giving us the life we thought it was going to give. And so it can be very possible that we're actually the ones at fault, but we also know, and there is no shortage of headlines, sadly, about other Christian leaders who abuse their power. And people who are greedy, people who are angry, people who commit abuse, people who, who give in to lust and they disqualify themselves from leadership. And, and I'm sure that there are people in here that if I sat down and talked with each one of you, you would say that you have experienced some sort of spiritual abuse from a pastor or from a leader. And so the reality is that there will be people who hurt us spiritually. And so we need to understand what is the healthy way to view Christian leadership. What does the scripture say and compare to that as opposed to comparing to examples, good or bad, that we see. We go back to the source. Another reason why I believe this topic is important is because as you grow and mature as a Christian, many of us in this room will at one point or another be asked to be part of leading the church. And if you are discipling three people, you are a leader. If you are discipling a small group, or maybe one day God will call you to be a pastor, to be a missionary, to be part of a church plant, all of those things. And so we need to know how do we relate and how do we view Christian leadership. And so as we close out tonight, I want to share five thoughts with you on how we view Christian leaders. I'll try to move through these quickly, but I want to make sure that I'm teaching you well what the scripture says. So the first thing that we should view, the first way that we should view Christian leaders is we should view them as brothers and sisters in Christ. So here's the thing. I'm called to be a pastor. But before I was called to be a pastor, I was saved by Jesus as a Christian. And so first and foremost, I'm not your pastor. First and foremost, I am your brother in Christ. And that is where we relate, not on some spiritual hierarchy. And this idea of, of people maybe wanting to take advantage of their power, it was happening during Jesus' day as well. 
There were Pharisees and religious leaders who loved to be the religious Pharisees of the day. And Jesus talked to his 12 disciples about this idea. And listen, if anyone was going to be a celebrity, it was going to be the 12 guys that started the church. But Jesus didn't even want them to be celebrities. Listen to what he says about the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. He says this, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Don't you love that? Christian leaders been trying to wear cool clothes since the very beginning. Like phylacteries broad and fringes long. That's like the Nikes and the Gucci and the Rolexes of their day. And he says they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greeting in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. They love it. But Jesus says something to the disciples. He says, I don't want you to act like that. He says, but you are not to be called rabbi. For you have one rabbi, and you are all brothers. He says, and call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor in Christ. Now, in this situation, we must let scripture interpret scripture. And Jesus himself, he referred to other people as fathers. He, he called people who were dads fathers. In the Bible, many places, people are called teachers. And, and so the idea of us referring to someone, you can call your dad, dad, okay? Like, you're not, like, sinning if you're doing that. But here's what Jesus is saying is, don't assume a spiritual title, and, and don't try to put yourself in some positional hierarchy, because really, everyone is brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're all worshiping God. And so if you're trying to level up and put yourself above some other people and say, hey, I'm up here and then after me there's Christ and below me there's you. No, no, no. You got the wrong motive. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is the lead story. Jesus is the one we are worshiping. Jesus is our North Star and everything else revolves around him. So we are primarily first and foremost brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's the first way that we view Christian leaders. The second thing that we do is, biblically speaking, we do view them with honor and with respect. Now, there is no hierarchy, but when Jesus established his church, he did establish leaders to lead the church. He established apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And those people are in charge of overseeing the community of believers. And listen to what it says in Hebrews 13. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Now let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So what God is saying is that God has put godly leadership over your life if you are a Christian. And there are different areas of leadership. There are our parents, there are church leaders, things like that. But God has put leaders. And any, listen to me, any Christian should have authority over their lives. Okay? Now, I mean that from the top down. So Pastor Mark, 
our senior pastor, he has authority in his life. He has elders that he reports to. I personally have authority in my life. I'm just not out here running the harbor how I feel like running it. Like I have a, a boss, Pastor Dave, and his boss is Pastor Mark, and so I submit my decisions to them, and they are over me. But, but listen, and this is, this is so important. What, what this scripture is saying is that if you consider yourself part of the harbor, then what it's saying is that me as a pastor, like it is actually my spiritual responsibility to keep watch over your soul while you are here. Like that is a, that is a heavy thing. And I will actually stand before God one day and give an account for how I led you and what I spoke to you and how I, I asked you or how I, I called you to, to walk closer to Christ. Like that's a powerful thing. And, and for me, it, it's such an honor and a privilege, but it is also a heavy responsibility. And I don't just accept that like nothing like that. I should accept that with the fear of God to know that one day that will happen. But for all of us in here, we need to, to treat Christian leaders with honor and respect. And listen, it is very popular right now for us, to, for us in this culture to say, you know what, like, I love Jesus, but yeah, I'm not super into leadership. You know, like, I don't really have leaders. I just kind of do my own thing. And in reality, listen, Jesus set up leadership. So if you're not following under godly leadership, you're not following Jesus because he is inviting you into this kind of relationship. Now, I'm sure that there are people in here who are thinking, okay, red flags are going off because it seems like there could be some sort of spiritual abuse if this happens. And so that's why we're arriving at point three of how we should view godly leadership, and that is that we should hold Christian leaders accountable. We should hold Christian leaders accountable. Honor and submission does not mean blindly following sin. It does not mean staying silent when there are, a, where, when there are things going on that are not godly. And, and the apostles and, and throughout the New Testament, over and over again, it is mentioned that there will be false teachers, wolves in sheep's clothing, that are trying to lead the church astray. And so here's our responsibility. In Acts 17, there's a church called the Bereans. And it says this, it says, the people of Bereans were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. A better translation of that word, open-minded, is more noble. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. And listen, this is what they did. They searched the scripture day after day to see if Paul and Silas we're teaching the truth. So the way that you hold spiritual leaders accountable is, is you, as I'm teaching, you should be looking at your Bible and you should be saying, is what he is saying correct? Or is he up here lying to me and trying to spin some other tale? And we as followers of Jesus should be growing in our knowledge of the word so that we are aware when false teachers arise. So that when something pops up on our Instagram or, or something pops into our earbuds that says, you know what, that doesn't sound right because I've actually read the scripture and I know the story and they're trying to lead me astray. And so we as followers of Jesus need to do this. Now, obviously, in a big church like a Calvary Chapel, like 
Everyone here is not going to be able to go up and, and, and personally hold Pastor Mark accountable, okay? That would be like crazy. That would be very unhealthy for him to have like 10,000 people obsessed with that. But what I will say is whatever church you choose now and in the future, make sure that there is a healthy leadership structure. Make sure that the pastor does have accountability, that the pastor is putting himself under the word of God and not just slinging stuff that he feels like slinging. And for us in this community, we, we are small enough right now that you guys can come talk to me. Like I am here every week after the harbor, I am available. I'm usually the last person to leave. And so if you see something in my teaching that seems off, like, I invite you to talk to me about it. And, and if, if it's right, I'll, I'll do my best to show you in the scripture. If it's a gray area or something that is open-handed, that maybe some people believe this and other people believe this, but we can all be Christians, I'll let you know that. But if I am wrong, like, I will apologize to you, and I will come up here and say I was wrong. Like, I, I want that. We are a community. And so you are invited to, to talk to me. If there is something that I am doing in my life that doesn't line up with being a pastor or being or the calling that I have, like you can come talk to me about it. I, I want you to do that. Like I don't want you to just like act like oh everything's fine. And I I, I do I, I invite that. Now please if if it's you just don't like my style or like you think my jokes are lame, like you know I'm, I'm sensitive. Okay, you know <laughs> just laugh. But 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 for real, if there is something in my life. I invite you to come and talk to me about it because we should be creating an environment where leadership is not on this higher plateau that's untouchable. Number four, how should we forgive Christian or how should we view Christian leaders? Number four, if you've been hurt, forgive. If you've been hurt, forgive. Now, there are critics of this that would say that this is victim shaming or saying this is letting pastors and leaders off the hook. And I'm not trying to do that because pastors and leaders do have a high standard. And listen, if you think that a pastor or a leader is getting away with something, like they may get away for, for this life, but they will stand before God one day. Like nobody gets away with anything, just so you know. But for your soul, if you have been hurt, may I encourage you to forgive. Because if you are holding unforgiveness in your heart, then best case scenario, you are stunting your spiritual growth. And worst case scenario, you are blocking your ability to be forgiven. Because Jesus said, if you don't forgive, then you are unable to receive forgiveness from me because you don't understand grace and that you need that forgiveness. And so forgive. Forgive, even though it is incredibly challenging and incredibly painful. Forgiveness doesn't mean you invite them back into your life, but it does mean you set them free from the jail of your heart. And, and maybe you're like, Brian, I can't forgive. That's too hard. That's too challenging. Well, there's a story. Well, let's finish up the story of Hagar from earlier. You see, if you read, we don't have time to, to really dive in and, and, and look at the whole thing, but if you read in Genesis 15 and you read in Genesis 21, there were times when Hagar had to, literally was like forced to leave her home and, and was put in these really horrible situations. 
And when that happened, God actually drew near to her each time. And what's absolutely beautiful and amazing is that God drew near and blessed her and provided for her and guided her and showed her favor. And so what I want you to know about that is God is near the brokenhearted. And God cares about those who have been hurt. And I believe God has a special place in his heart for those who are hurt. And he invites you into freedom through entering into forgiveness. Now, I'm going to ask the team to come back up for the last worship song. But the fifth and final way that we should view Christian leaders is that we should make Jesus our hero. Make Jesus your hero. You know, the reason I think that we tend to idolize Christian leaders is because we know that we need a savior. Like we know that we need guidance. We know that we need encouragement and hope and comfort. And sometimes when uh, you know, that comes from the pulpit or the stage or the headphones or whatever, we could tend to, to look to that person for those things. But in reality, that person should only be pointing us back to Jesus. And the truth is, you're right. Like, you do need forgiveness. We need forgiveness. I need forgiveness. You need a savior. We need guidance. We need hope. We need comfort. We need help in this life. And it is a beautiful thing that God has provided the church for us as a gift. But the church is meant to roll up into worship of Jesus. And so in reality, what we truly need is we need forgiveness through Jesus. We need hope through Jesus. We need help through Jesus. We need guidance through Jesus. So I want to ask us to take a moment and bow our heads in prayer. And I just want to give space for one second because I believe that this topic is a heavy topic. And I believe that there are people here who wrestle with these things. And maybe you you haven't been to church for a long time because you haven't wanted to deal with it. Or maybe you have been, but you've kind of shut off. Maybe you're even listening to this on podcast because that's the closest you'll come to a, a church setting. But I just want to encourage you that that God has freedom for you. And God has an amazing plan for you and God is drawing near to you. So I just want to pray over you if you have experienced hurt and if you have experienced wounds or abuse. And God, I just want to pray for anyone right now who has been hurt by people at a church. And, and sadly, we, we are all humans. We all have free will. And so if we stick around a church long enough, we will be hurt. Not by a church, but by people. And God, I know that you are near the brokenhearted. I know that you have forgiveness and hope and restoration and reconciliation. And so I pray that you would bind up the wounds, that you would bring comfort to those who are hurting that you would bring freedom. And I pray that we would have a story of restoration. I pray that you would bring people into our lives who are safe people, who care about us, who walk with us, who aren't perfect, but they point us to who is perfect, which is you. And now I just want to take a moment, if there is anyone here 
that doesn't know Jesus and, and you want to actually make Jesus the, the Lord of your life, you want to make Jesus your Savior, your King, Jesus has a new life for you. He has a new start for you. And I want to give you an opportunity just to talk to Jesus and ask him to forgive you of your sins and ask him to set you free and ask him to give you a new life. So if there's anyone here and you realize that that's you, um, nobody is looking around, but if that is you, would you just mind just raising your hand up in the air? I just want to give you an opportunity to pray. Awesome, thank you. Anybody else? Yeah. So if you raise your hand or maybe you, you didn't and you wanted to, I just want to invite you to pray just a simple prayer in your heart and just say, dear God, I know that I am far from you, but I know that you sent Jesus to save me and to rescue me. God, tonight I believe that you have changed my life. I want you to follow me or I, I, want, I want to follow you. I want you to walk with me. Please help me to make you the king of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to know more about The Harbor, please follow us on Instagram at wearetheharbor. Also, if you need prayer, feel free to send us a DM. Otherwise, tune in next time.